Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I just want to discuss this issue of nafil ibadat. Alright? So the first thing is that the Sahaba Kiram themselves were taught, and I want to, I want to clarify something, um, because Asif has pointed out to me that I'm trying to say something, it might not be crystal clear to you, that if the Sahaba Tabin and Tabai Tabin allowed themselves to do nafil ibadat that were not taught to them by the Prophet it means that you and I are also allowed to design new nafil ibadat. It doesn't mean we're confined only to the nafil ibadat that the Sahaba Tabin Tabai Tabin did. No. Because whatever is permissible for the Salaf is permissible for us. Whatever was not permissible for them is not permissible for us. In that sense, there's no distinction between us and them. The same Sharia applies to us as it does to them. So if it was permissible for them to make du'a in ways in which the Prophet never made du'a and to do zikr in ways that the Prophet never made zikr, not only can we, we can choose to use their du'as and their zikr, or we can also follow this amal of theirs, which is that we can design a new du'a and a new zikr just like they designed their own new du'a and zikr, as long as it meets the first criteria, which is that there is nothing in that du'a, nothing in that zikr, that is against the Qur'an, Sunan, Sharia. Alright? Now the examples. And I'm going to, I'm restricting myself to a few examples, and I'm going to restrict myself to those examples that have been mentioned in Bukhari and or Muslim. Not in any way that I'm trying to suggest to you that these two books are the only sources of the deen, or only sources of hadith, but uh, because some of the people who maybe have generally misunderstood this concept of bidat or worse yet deliberately misrepresent the understanding of bidat and because they accept all the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim therefore I am using these examples so that it's best to when you want to establish the truth of something to use evidence that is acceptable to everyone right? number one this is a hadith that is mentioned, narrated by Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, recorded by both Bukhari and Muslim. That once Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam turned to Sayyidina Bilal, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, at the time of Fajr, and then, this is the famous hadith, and Mr. Prophet told Sayyidina Bilal that I heard the sound of your footsteps in Jannat. And so, the Prophet asked him that, Ya Bilal, tell me about that amal for which you are most hopeful for reward, for truly I heard the sound of your footfalls, your footsteps in Jannat. Sayyidina Bilal replied that I did not do anything for which I am more hopeful of reward, except that I never perform wudu in the day or night without praying what I must pray after this wudu. And in another riwayah, this is mentioned in Tirmidhi, that Sayyidina Bilal said that I never raised adhan except, and never called out the adhan, except that I pray two rakahs after it. And I never performed wudu, except that I pray two rakahs after that. And the Prophet responded that it's with these two rakahs that you enter Jannat. So this is what me and you call tahiyatul wudu, to pray two rakahs, nafil salah, after wudu. This was a quote-unquote innovation of Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Something that the Prophet did not teach him, the Prophet did not know. Obviously that's why the Prophet is inquiring and asking him. What is it that you did? And it was something that was so accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani, commentator of Bukhari, right? I told you the great Al-Bukhari. What does he write after this hadith? Commenting on this hadith, he writes, 
This hadith signifies that ijtihad is permissible concerning timing and acts of worship. In other words, a person can choose to pray nafal at particular times or set particular times for the nafal ibadat that is jayz in the sharia. Because Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu did it and the Prophet approved it and Allah subhanahu ta'ala accepted it. Second example is also from the Sahih Bukhari narrated by Sayyidina Rifa'a radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is a companion Rifa'a ibn Rafi al-Zulaqi that when the Prophet was leading Maghrib Salah and the Prophet sami Allahu liman hamida then Sayyidina Rifa'a radiallahu ta'ala anhu said out loud Our Lord, Ya Rabb to you belongs all praise, abundant, excellent and blessed. Hamdan kathiran tayyibam mubarakan fi. And he said it out loud. So the Prophet heard. So the Hadith continues in Bukhari that after the Prophet finished Salah, he turned down and asked, Who said this? Who said this du'a? Because the Prophet had only taught them to say, Rabbana wa lakal hamd, or Rabbana lakal hamd. And this companion, even though he was taught that, what did he do? This companion thinks that it is jais to add or innovate in nafil ibadah, which is this du'a. Actually, he's doing it in a first salah, but this act, this element of the first salah is not first, right? The du'a that you recite after Sami Allah Hamida is nafil. It means if you leave it out, your prayer is still valid. So he himself innovated and said something new, came up with a new du'a that the Prophet never taught him. رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدِ حَمْدًا كَثِيرًا طَيْبًا مُبَارَكًا فِي The Hadith continues, the Prophet turned and asked who said this, and why, and said that the angels were competing to be the first to write it down. Ibn Hajar Skalani commenting on this Hadith, says, Ibn Hajar is a Shafi, classical early Shafi. From this Hadith, the permissibility of innovating, literally, جَوَازِ إِحْدَاثِ Hadath was also muhdath was a word used in that Hadith that every matter newly begun. The permissibility of doing something new, the permissibility of innovating an invocation of du'a inside salah, other than what is received from the Prophet can be derived. As long as it does not contradict what is received from the Prophet This is Ibn Hajar's writing, commenting on this hadith in Bukhari. From this hadith, the permissibility of innovating an invocation of du'a, ay nafil ibadat, inside salah, other than what was received from the Prophet ﷺ can be inferred as long as that does not contradict what was received from the Prophet ﷺ. Exactly what I told you. I'm showing you how the ulama of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jamaat understand what is permissible to do in nafil ibadat. It's exactly what I defined to you. That you can do it as long as it's not against the Quran or Sunnah. Third example. Also from. This is from Sahih Muslim. That one of the Sahaba came late to Salah. And instead of just saying Allahu Akbar, when he did Takbir Tarima, he said Allahu Akbar Kabira, Walhamdulillahi Kathira, Wa Subhanallahi Bukratan Wa Asila. Then he started. Nambi Takbir Parli. There Sibiyaita. He came late and read this. After the Salah, the Prophet asked, Who said this? The Sahaba identified and said, Ya Rasulullah, I did not intend by it other than good. The Prophet said, I saw the gates of Jannah open because of those words. Who's narrating this? Abdullah bin Umar. Radiallahu ta'ala anhumah is narrating this hadith recorded in Sahih Muslim. Then Ibn Umar adds after mentioning this, I never stopped saying them 
since I heard the Prophet say this. Yani Ibn Umar saying, my whole life, I also started prayer by saying, Allahu Akbar kabira walhamdulillahi kathira wa subhanallahi bukrata wa asila. He followed the innovation of that Sahaba. Sahaba doing something new that the Prophet had not taught them in these nafil ibadat. Imam Bukhari reports, collected this hadith that is narrated from Amma Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. The Sayyidina Rasulullah s.a.w. dispatched the Sahaba as the head of a jihad, as Amir of a jihad campaign. And that Amir of jihad, whenever he recited Salah, he was also Amir, the Salah, he was Imam. And the Mujahideen prayed behind him. He, whatever he recited, he recited different things in the Salah. He always ended with Surah Ikhlas. He would always recite Kullu Wallah So recite Fatah, recite any other ayat from the Quran, and Kullu Wallah so when the Mujahideen Sahaba came back, they mentioned this to the Prophet ﷺ. Bukhari is narrating all this. And they, and they asked the Prophet ﷺ to ask the companion, that Amir, why did he do this? The Prophet ﷺ told them to ask him, go ask him, why did he do this? So when those Mujahideen Sahaba asked the Amir of Jihad, why did you do this? That Sahabi said that because it describes Rahman, and I love to recite it. Then they came back and said to the this is his jawab. The Prophet ﷺ said to them, Tell him that Allah loves him. Allah Akbar. Go tell him that Allah Ta'ala loves him. It's mentioned in Bukhari. A sahaba innovating. Innovating. This is an innovation. The Prophet did not do this. In Masjid Nabi when he recited Salah, he did not recite Surah Al-Khas at the end of every Salah. This sahaba did it. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Imam Bukhari also recites, relates this hadith, narrated by Sayyidina Abu Sayyid al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that one sahaba heard another sahaba, he was reciting Surah Ikhlas over and over and over again. So when the morning came, that sahaba who heard it went to the Prophet and said, that, what is this? And the Prophet responded, this is a famous hadith, you would have heard this through another, you don't know the whole hadith. The Prophet responded, by him in whose hand is my soul, Surah Ikhlas, it equals one third of the Qur'an. And he approved it. Approved it. That this person was reciting a surah class repeatedly. Over and over in his Qiyam al-Layl, in his Tahajjud. In his Salah at night. And the Prophet said, fine, no problem. Even though the Prophet's own Amal was not to do this. His own quote-unquote Sunnah was not to do this. His own Sunnah was to recite from different places of the Quran. But what did the Prophet do? Did the Prophet tell that Sahaba, follow my Sunnah? Follow my Hadith? I recite from all places in the Quran. You're just reciting Surah Ikhlas. Did the Prophet tell that Amir of Jihad that what are you doing? Follow my Sunnah. I don't end every prayer with Surah Ikhlas. He said, tell him Allah loves him. The Prophet left it open because Allah Ta'ala left Nafil Ibadat open. Left our du'as and tilawat and zikr open for us. And the Prophet knew that. And so he didn't try to restrict it. This is Sunnah. These hadith collectively are giving you a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that do not restrict people to doing the nafil ibadat that I did because I, Prophet ﷺ, I myself did not restrict the sahaba to that. And when I would find out that my sahaba were doing new things, new du'as in, in qawmah, which is after standing from Sami Allah, new styles of recitation in their tahajjud, new recitations in the first salah, I didn't stop them. That's what the sunnah is telling you. That the Prophet is saying, when I didn't stop my companions, who are you to stop someone? When I didn't stop my companions, when they do new nafil who are you to stop someone? 
یہ تو بندہ اور اللہ کے درمیان میں ایک رابطہ ہے وہ ذکر از رابطہ اسی دا فرائض ان واجبات اور ضابطہ فرائض ان واجبات اور ضابطہ that's قانون that's a law it's an obligation we cannot touch that cannot change that but نفل عبادات is our رابطہ with Allah تو رابطہ میں کہیں انداز ہیں آپ نئی چیز کر لو بخلاف شرع نہ ہو but it's your رابطہ that's what the sunnah is telling you that's what these hadiths are telling you number six also narrated in Bukhari Sayyidina Abu Sayyid al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu it's a long hadith uh, very briefly that a group of the sahaba went once on a journey and there were some Arabs who they asked to host them those Arabs didn't host them then one member of the Arabs who didn't host them got stung by a scorpion so he went and he said that you know do you have some cure went to the sahaba so one of the sahaba said yes I have a cure now I'll, recite, I'll give you a word for it one of the sahaba replied yes by Allah I recite Rukia, Rukia, which is Taweez. Rukia is the Arabic for Taweez. I recite healing words over people. But by Allah, we asked you to be our host and you refused. So I will not recite anything unless you give us a fee. Charging for Taweez, Sahaba Karam, recorded in Bukhari. Allah Akbar. I will not recite anything unless you give us a fee. The Arab tribe agreed upon a herd of sheep. Herd. They gave a herd of sheep. So then the Sahaba went and began spitting, literally to the Arab, and began spitting and reciting Fatah over the spitting. Dumb. Nay samjay. Kya gya? Taweez and dumb. And reciting Fatah over the sick person until the sick man got up and walked as if he were a camel released from its tether. This is the Arabic expression. Matabilkul Sayyidurastongya. They paid the agreed upon fee, then they gave the herd. Now some of the Sahaba, this is, this is why this became a Hadith. The Sahaba had disagreement that should they divide up the herd? Do they all get the herd? Or just the one who recited Fatah gets the herd? They took this back to the Prophet ﷺ. They said, okay, do not divide it up until we reach the Prophet and tell him what has happened to see what he may order us to do. So they came to the Prophet and told him what occurred. First the Sahaba asked that, the Prophet asked that Sahaba, how did you know that Fatah was among the words that heal? How did you know that? <laughs> it means that the Prophet didn't teach him that. It means the Prophet didn't, he thought of it on his own. He innovated. So the Prophet said, how did you know Fatah was among the words that heal? You were right. Divide up the herd and give me a share. This is the mizaj of the Prophet Achha, these are examples of Sahaba Kram in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, right? Next, let us move to examples of Sahaba Kram doing some ibadat that the Prophet ﷺ do after the Prophet passed away. Because somebody might try to tell you, no, but look, the cello, they did it in front of the Prophet ﷺ and Prophet ﷺ approved it, so it's part of Sunnah anyway. So I will show you some nafil ibadat that the Sahaba did after the Prophet ﷺ passed away. Okay? Right? Okay. Sahih Muslim narrates that Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu when he asked a question and he told Asma bin Abi Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anha that he has started fasting continuously. This is called Samudahar or permanent year-round fast. This is not Sunnah. The Prophet didn't fast this way. Abdullah ibn Umar didn't fast like that when the Prophet was alive. He started doing it afterwards. 
and it's mentioned in Sahih Muslim. Alright? Second, Imam Malik. You see, because obviously you have to understand now when I move to the things the Sahaba did, I can't quote you Hadith on that. Hadith quote you the statements and actions of the Prophet ﷺ, right? So now you have to let me go beyond Bukhari and Muslim because I have to show you what the Sahaba and Tabin did. And Bukhari and Muslim are books of Hadith. They don't tell you what the Sahaba and Tabin did. Got it, right? Imam Malik Rimullah. Imam Malik amongst the Tabai Tabin writes in his Muatta, which is a book of Hadith, but he writes, he makes this comment. There is no harm in perpetual fasting, Siyam ad provided that one breaks one fast on the days where the Prophet forbade fasting. That's the, again, Ulama Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jama'at, understanding of Bidat, in Nafal Ibadah, understanding of new, you can do a new Nafal, you want to fast every day, fine, but not Khilaf Ishara, no, don't fast the days the Prophet forbade it. Same understanding, same understanding, do something new in Nafal Ibadah, but don't do it when it's against the Sharia. Mr. Imam Malik is writing a big faqih. Imam Nawawi writes the same thing. Imam Nawawi writes in his Shara of Sahih Muslim that Ibn Umar fasted permanently except the days of Eid and Tashriq, which are the days of the Takbir, the Takbirat and Ayam al-Tashriq after Eid al-Adha. And then Imam Nawawi writes that this perpetual fast was his way and the ways of others of the Salaf such as Imam Shafi. Right. Ibn Qudama al-Hanbali says the same thing in his book called Al-Mughni. So this is an example. Just one or two more examples and we'll have to move to our actual topic. Right? Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu possessed a thread, a rope, possessed a rope which had 2,000 knots and he would not sleep until he had used them all for zikr. Who is writing this about him? This is Imam al-Zahabi. Imam al-Zahabi is a Hanbali scholar who was the student of Ibn Taymiyyah. And he has written a book called the Siyari Alam al Nubala. He has written a book which contains the biographies of the Sahaba. He is writing this. And Imam Dhabi continues that Abu Huraira used to make this be of Allah Ta'ala. Abu Huraira used to say about himself that verily I make this be of Allah every day according to my decree, according to my qadr. Sometimes 12,000 times. So Abu Huraira doing tasbih 12,000 times a day being reported by Imam al-Zahabi al-Hanbali. And this is a nafil zikr that was not <laughs> done by the Prophet ﷺ and using a rope with knots, this is his tasbih, using a rope with 2,000 knots in it to count that. Counting. Doing a particular number. All of this is being done by Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Imam al-Zahabi's book is universally acknowledged as one of the most accurate sources of the lives and practices of the Sahaba. Ibn Hajar Asqalani, who I mentioned to you, not Tabin, but just to show you another example of using the tasbih, his student was Imam al-Sakhawi. And Imam al-Sakhawi wrote the biography of his teacher. In the biography he writes that his teacher always carried a tasbih in his hand. Jalaluddin Asiyuti, in his Al-Hawil al-Jalaluddin is a Shafi scholar, he has written a fatwa on the permissibility of the use of a tasbih. Although no, nobody, everyone knows and all these great ulama of hadith knew that the Prophet never used it. Achha, this is enough to show you examples, right, of Saba, Tabin and other great scholars doing du'as and zikr that were not found and taught by the Prophet. Last thing, sometimes people also say that to do a lot of worship, 
that in Tasawwuf, what about those stories that we used to hear people reading Quran the whole night and fasting every day and they're trying to outdo the Prophet Right? I mentioned this to you yesterday as well. Nobody's trying to outdo the Prophet I told you it's because you're weak. A person who is weak tries to do more. The example I gave you yesterday was what of the economic student who is weak. So he goes in this extra tuition. Do you tell him, are you trying to outdo your teacher? Your teacher never did tuitions when he studied economics. He said, my teacher wasn't weak. My teacher's a Harvard graduate. I'm weak. I'm not trying to outdo him. I'm spending more time because I'm weaker than him. It's a proof that they used to do this. Right? So here, fasting year-round, I've already shown you that. Imam al-Zahabi. Some of you may have heard this thing that Imam Abu Hanifa Ta'ala, recited the whole Quran in a single rakat. People say, how is that possible? Right? How that's possible, Allahu Alam, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can expand the time for someone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could do many things. It could have been a long winter night, right? But who reports this? Who has said this about Abu Hanifa? The Hanafis? No. Imam al-Zahabi al-Hanbali. In his book, Manaqib Abu Hanifa, he wrote a book on Abu Hanifa also. On page 22 of this book, he writes that Imam Hanifa recited the entire Quran in a single rakat. Imam Sayyuti, who is a Shafi, he writes in one of his books that Imam Anifir recited the entire Quran in a single rakat. Allahu Akbar. Right? These people used to strive and worship. Imam Tirmidhi. Imam Tirmidhi is re- reported in his Sunan about one of the Tabai Tabin, Umair ibn Hani, that he used to pray 1,000 nafil salah a day. This is written in the Sunan of Tirmidhi. That he used to pray 1,000 about Umair ibn Hani. That he used to pray 1,000 nafil rakats a day. And say subhanallah, say this tasbih 100,000 times a day. I think that's enough then. Because I cannot repeat all the examples I gave. There are more. Right? But these are examples for the new type of nafil ibadat in terms of dua and zikr. And for excessive nafil ibadat. The permissibility of that. Because again, whatever was permissible for them is permissible for us. Whatever the Sahaba, Tabin, Tabai, Tabin have viewed as permissible, we view it as permissible for us. Last thing on this concept of bidat is a hadith in Sahih Muslim, which unfortunately you, very few of you know. All of us know the hadith that everything new is a bidat, every bidat is a misguidance, every misguidance goes to hellfire. Another hadith in Sahih Muslim. Listen to it. Man sanna fil islami sunnatan hasana. Whoever institutes, innovates a new good sunnah in Islam will have its reward and the reward of all of those who practice that new thing until the day of judgment without it lessening the rewards of the latter. In other words, the one who designed that new sunnah, hasana, will have the reward of all of those who follow it without lessening the rewards of the followers themselves. And whoever institutes a bad practice, وَمَنْ سَنَّ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ سُنَّةً سَيِّئَةً and whoever institutes a bad sunnah in Islam will bear its sin and the sin of all the people who practice it until the day of judgment without reducing the sin of the doer. So what does it mean that in Sahih Muslim we have a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ that people are going to institute good practices afterwards and they're going to get the reward for those newly instituted good practices. And the Prophet ﷺ has chosen to call it sunnah. Man sanna fil islami sunnatan hasana has chosen to call it sunnah. 
So that is the way we are going to view these nafal ibadat and du'as and zikr that are done by the Sahaba Tabin and Tabai Tabin and are going to be done by the ulama and mashayikh of the Sawaf that they're instituting a good sunnah. 